Well, we may be deeply disappointed by hot sauce, but we're here to talk jibberfish, aren't we, Dom? Yep, back again. After uh, looking at my notes, exactly one month after we recorded the last episode, or my notes anyway. Uh, so consistency, we're getting better at that. I mean, we're trying, trying our best. It's not going to last, but we're trying. <laughs> Speaking of trying, I I was out in Linlithgow the other day, just you know, Saturday morning, and there was like the farmers market going on, and it's the usual kind of. People selling candles, homemade soaps, and stuff like that. And I turned the corner, and someone's selling hot sauce, which is weird because Linlithgow is not that kind of place. So I'm like, okay, we'll go check it out. And it's a company called Lethal Hot Sauces, um, and it's spelled L-E-I-T-H-A-L because it's Leith, uh, which is a part of Edinburgh. For those of you not in the know, and there's a company out there making hot sauce. It's kind of mediocre. It's. <laughs> I text you about this because I was. I bought all six because they had like six available options, and there was a cool citrus one that was it was mild. They told us it was mild. It was one chili out of five, so that's their rating system. But everything up until the last bottle was basically heatless. Although Dom's theory is that I've just basically nuked my tongue so much that it doesn't matter. Anymore. Yeah, you've just got that one John Rambo esque taste bud. This like this ain't shit. <laughs> I've seen worse. I've seen worse. <laughs> Uh, you you would know who you did back in Nam. No war, you won't believe. <laughs> I miss yeah, those. I mean that, that's my theory. I guarantee, if I tried some of that hot sauce, I, my head would probably just explode. What is impressive to me though is that I have colleagues at work now that are even like higher level, like double black belt hot sauce aficionados, and their tastes scare me. So I'm kind of like curious as to what they've got in store. I'm like, oh, what, what do you have? What evil do you bring to the table? Because <laughs> that's um, that's part of it. I think is that just eventually you just you want the next hit to be as good as the first hit you remember. That first time you try a chili and stuff is like, it, it takes your head off, but you want more, and you just I think that's the difference. That the hot sauce people keep coming back for more. They're still chasing that high from back in the day. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's been a month, as you say, for a recording, and uh, in that month, I think we've actually not seen much. I mean, last time, I think we started off real political and stuff, and then all we've uh, had the coronation and stuff, and that's, you know, not much has changed. The UK isn't getting any better, but hey, we're yeah. just learning to ignore it and get on with the rest of our lives. Which, uh, I don't know if that's a good thing, but uh, it's happening. It's what the government wants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we only require your compliance uh, but it's uh, it's been a good month It's the heat's starting to come in uh, I'm spending the entire day in shorts now just in the hopes that that will somehow drive away the heat I'm sunburned officially for the first time of the year got a nice reddish tinge to me oh dude I can only imagine how you as a bald dude are, are dealing with the sunburn but I had uh I had a game of rugby right about the start of the really, really nice weather, really, really warm weather that we were getting. Sun was splitting the trees, absolutely brilliant day. Cracking day for a game of rugby as well. But as I'm getting older, my hair's starting to thin out a little bit. And for an 80-minute game of rugby, I didn't put any suntan lotion. My arms were fine. My face was fine. Top of my head was like a red beacon. So that's the interest. I, I've got the bald head, so I can just slather on suntan lotion. Yeah. How do you, with actual hair, take care of the bald part of your head? 
you then have to go and like, <sighs> run some tangotion through your hair. I don't know how I'll deal with it going forward, but I will do. I will probably just run suntan lotion through my hair. But to try and limit it going forward, I am sad to say I've done something and I bought something that I never said I was going to do. Even when these fucking hats started making a a good showing, those snapback caps that you see people wearing, real douchebag looking caps. Oh right, the yeah, I got rims. one of them. The flat bill cap. Yeah, I end up getting one of them just because it's got extra space, so what little is left of my hair doesn't get messed up. Now see, you've always been a beanie guy. I associate yeah. the beanie with you to the point where when I have a beanie, I'm like, oh, just like Dom. Yeah, I only, only had the one, and it's for one of the bands I saw with uh, Beast in Black, and it's just mm-hmm. oh, wait, was it Beast in Black? No, it was the one that uh, Bad Wolves Hollow Star. I have a, a Hollow Star beanie because it was available. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll grab one. And uh, every time I wear a beanie, I'm like, this is how Dom feels all the time, and it's yeah. kind of comfy. But I suppose in heat, I wouldn't want a beanie. Oddly enough, I could see you in a bucket hat. I don't know why. I mean, I think this is going way back to fucking high school. I did used to rock a cap mm. quite a lot, and then I did transition that to the beanie, which I I wore even through weather like this. It was that beanie never came off. I don't even know where the fuck that beanie is right now. <laughs> it's stretched out and disgusting. There after was, several there was nothing watches. on the beanie either. It was just a black beanie. It was the most. It wasn't quite hipster, but if you if we were hipsters, that'd be the hipster move. Is I don't oh, have yeah. a branded beanie. I just have a beanie. Yeah, and I did get a DC shoes beanie, but I didn't want to wreck it, so that got put away for <laughs> special occasions, I suppose. That's, that's my uh, formal beanie. <laughs> yeah, that's my formal wear, and uh, yeah, it was literally just plain black. Uh, if I remember right, it was. 250 out of Primark or Primark, depending on where, how you say it. But yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think I could do that now because I mean, I, I wear a hoodie and I'm all of a sudden like, fuck, I'm melting. Don't do well in the heat. Yeah, I, I, I stick to a cap myself, just a baseball cap. Uh, don't, <laughs> no hair, so no exchange for like the snapback. And I, yeah. I think I actually had a Carolina Panther snapback. I don't know where it's gone though. And I'm now very worried that I've just left that somewhere on like a bus stop somewhere. Yeah. Someone's walking around with a pretty decent, I think actually it might be a legit uh, Carolina Panthers snapback <laughs> that I bought in Carolina. Oh shit. But uh, yeah, I, I, someone out there has my hat, I think. And I'll need to either track it down myself or just accept fate and get on with it. But yeah. I have uh, just like a, a plain black cap that I wear and I just have it, I shove it in my bag if it's like Looking like it's gonna be bad weather, but not bad enough to move up. But I yeah. have I have a, a cap in my bag at all times for my work bag. Yeah. That's uh, how I handle yeah. the heat and the sun as a bald guy, by the way. It's just grab a cap, throw it in your pocket, and then just take it out. Although I, I try to avoid to like I don't want to have it on all the time because then I have like uh the like a white patch for the top of my head, but then everything else would be just like sunburnt red. So I just yeah, have it off for half an hour, have it on for half an hour and just rotate it in and out. Yeah. You have the big red band across your head after you've been wearing the wearing the cap for a while. But yeah, we've got the summer heat in, and of course we've spent that entire time playing video games. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that, uh, when was it? We had really, really hot weather. I think it was at the weekend. It was on Saturday or Sunday, and I just, it was a really, really nice day. I seen again where I live is really really close to uh, the woods, and there's a really nice walking trail, biking trail through the woods. Really really nice place to go. 
when the sun's out like it is just now. And instead, I was up on my bed with a bottle of cold water. I had my dog lying next to me, and I was just playing Zelda. And I was like, I could be, go- I could be out walking, or I could save Hyrule. <laughs> I mean, you still Guess get which a view. I chose. Still get a view. You still get like a, a woodland realm to save. Yeah. You just also get, you know, non-sweaty balls. You made decisions. Yeah. I understand those decisions I c- entirely. I could not, because I don't know what it is. Where, where I live, a lot of people walk, uh, take their horses out for rides, which you know they're perfectly allowed to do. There's nothing illegal. It is a trail. But I remember just for about a week straight, maybe a summer ago, just having to walk, circumnavigate around massive piles of horse shit. Because people were just letting, I mean, obviously you can't get a shit bag for horse shit. You you can't just reach into your back pocket. It'd be more of a bin bag, but you can't really clean that shit up easily. So there was just piles of this crap everywhere. Yeah, horses just kind of get to do that. Everyone throws a shit fit if your dog shits in in the, the park. Horse does it. Like it's almost like you can't pick a fight with a horse, so you don't bother. Yeah, yeah I mean, you go up to a dog, you might get a nip, you might get a bite or something. You go up to a horse's owner, every chance that horse is going to trample you or kick you in the teeth. Either way, it's going to hurt. Yeah, but I mean, at least you've saved Tyro by now, right? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. Go on, dumb. Confess your sins to the people. Ah, uh, one hundred and sixty hours. As a reminder, people, we recorded last time four weeks ago, at which point Dom said he put 40 hours in. Which means yeah. Dom has now got a full-time job just playing Zelda, and he still hasn't finished this fucking game. <laughs> no, and I'm still a bit away from it. Uh, I'm The end quest is available to me, but I there's other things that I need to do in the game before I get to the final boss. Because I need to upgrade. You get these abilities from the sages, like one of them gives you a water shield, one of them gives you the ability to glide faster through the air, one of them gives you like a big fire attack thing. You can upgrade those in the game, and because I've already got four of them and upgraded one, I was like, well, I'm going to upgrade the rest of them as well. I've started, may as well finish. And there's 20 of these upgrade items that I need to get, minus the four that I already had, so I need to run around Hyrule and find another 16 of these fucking things. Probably hidden behind a giant dragon or some shit. But yeah, it is a it's becoming a full time fucking job, and I am slightly proud, like maybe five percent proud, but ninety five percent disgusted that I have spent a hundred and sixty fucking hours on this game. I wonder if I can pull up my stats for Elden because I think you've got me beat at this. Point. But yeah, I mean, how how is the game? Is it still as engaging as it was before? Yeah, I'd still say it's engaging. If if anything, I might say it's a bit more so because I know that I said uh, last episode that we were, I was finding it a bit bloated that there was just a lot to do and a lot of these different things. But as soon as you start doing it, you just kind of think, oh, I'll do another one. I'll do another one. Next day, you know, it's five in the morning and you have been playing it since nine o'clock at night. Uh, your switch is screaming at you, just going, stop it, turn me off. I don't <laughs> want to do this anymore. Let me uh, die. <laughs> let me die in peace. Uh, but the game itself is still fun, and because they have let you get certain items that you could only get in the previous game through Amiibos, you can now get them by exploring depth. So I'm now, I've now taken to finding certain special legendary items down in the depths of Hyrule, as opposed to 
asking around my friends, like, do you have the classic Link Amiibo? Because I want to get the, the original Link armor set. Now I can just run around the, the depth section and grab it there. And it's the same with other weapons. Like, I have found like the sword from the original Legend of Zelda, just called the Sword of the Hero, and I found uh, a weapon called the Fierce Deity Sword from Majora's Mask. So it does make it a bit easier to do a lot of things, but for every easy thing that you can do, there's then a hundred other hard things that you can do. Like you can go and fight uh, a thing called a Lionel, which was these tough kind of lion-horse hybrid creatures in the first game. You can now fight one of those, but it's a silver variant, and it can now deal something called gloom damage, which it deals a lot of damage to you, but it also reduces your max health. Oh, right. So, yeah, that thing can suck the mightiest of fucks. <laughs> I, uh, I looked at my Elden Ring playtime play on Steam. 113 yeah. hours. Yeah. And that was for a com- one complete playthrough. Although it is also telling me the last time I played this was over a year ago. And I feel kind of bad about that. Yeah. I'm like, I, I'm pretty sure I played Elden Ring last week. It was a great time. But now I'm like, oh, it was a year ago. Shit. Um, so, yeah, tune into Twitch TV where I'll be playing stuff out of sheer guilt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I may actually go back and play a bit of Elden Ring. I, I, it's been a while. And obviously, the, the comparisons as RPGs go, it tends to be that Zelda games end up compared to Elden Ring, despite the complete yeah. tonal differences. I think it just I... being high quality RPGs. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned that actually, because that was the one thing that I found when Elden Ring came out. People are saying, "Oh, it's just like Breath of the Wild," like, in the sense that it's open world, yeah, and you get a horse. But <laughs> apart from that, they are literally chalk and cheese. Actually, Tom, the main characters have a sword. It's basically the same game. Oh, sorry, uh, you're trying to save a princess. I apologize. <laughs> I. Uh... I, I was looking at it and thinking to myself, like, I, I'm watching the footage of it and I can see kind of like the idea of like, it's, yeah, it's the open world, yeah, you've got the horse, you've got sword and shield and you've got some weapon combos and weapons degrade and stuff, but it, it's so, it's so tonally different. Like, I, <laughs> I'd, I'd maybe go to the world of Zelda, I would never go to the world of Elden Ring. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd easily go, I'd fucking take a day trip out to Hyrule, but tell me to go to, is it Erdrick? No, Anna Londo's Dark Souls. Uh, they're they're both in, um, the new one. All there's, right, there's, well, an Anor, yeah. there's stuff in there. Anor Londo keeps appearing in different uh, Souls games. Interesting. Right. Yeah, tell me to go there. Fuck that. I've seen the creatures that, that stomp up, stomp around Anor Londo, and especially in Bloodborne, you could not, you could make me Bezos level rich <laughs> to spend a day in Old Yarnum. I would, I would stay as poor as I am. <laughs> Fuck that! I know what's in Old Yarnum. It would make Cthulhu shite himself. Because I'm pretty sure Cthulhu exists in the Blood Bloodborne uh, lore. Probably, he's probably a minor boss. Yeah, he's probably just the first boss. Tiny wee Cthulhu. Yeah, I'm looking at the the area that I'm thinking. I now of. want to see a series of something called Wee Toti Cthulhu, like a Scottish Cthulhu like <laughs> kids show, just called Wee Toti Cthulhu. <laughs> we we lad Cthulhu, we lad Cthulhu, we Jim Cthulhu. Aye, I'm looking at the the certain red area of that map of Elden Ring and just getting Vietnam flashbacks of the giant dog creatures <laughs> and the giant crow creatures just eat me. I'm like, oh, I'll have to go through there again. Uh, but, I yeah. mean, there's always that 
there's always that point in any game where you just like, oh fuck, I don't want to have to go back and fight those guys. It does sound though that you're at the, the sweet point of the RPG, which is you're not quite there at the end, but you've got like 80 to 90% done, and your character's good, you're competent at the game itself, yeah. and now you're getting to just kind of enjoy the game for like its best moments. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would definitely say that I'm at, uh, at that point in Zelda as well. I have got a good uh, set of armor, I've got a, a ton of good weapons to the point where I've picked up so many good weapons, uh, legendary weapons, and I've now got so many spares of said legendary weapons. I have, because uh, you can build a home, literally, uh, using the Ultra Hand mechanic, where you can just pick up blocks, connect them to other blocks. You know, I made a home using that, and you can buy uh, sword stands, shield stands, and bow stands. So I've just been getting all these legendary weapons. Like, oh, cool! That's the claymore that that killed Ganondorf in Twilight Princess. I won't get any more of these. I'll just play one in my house. Oh, I got another one. That's just luck. I put another one. I got eight of these fucking things. <laughs> Literally to the point where in in my inventory is seven of them. I think I'm at, or was seven of them. I think I'm at five now because I used two of them. Uh, one I actually used. The other one I lost. Uh, and then you get other uh, swords, like the Bigoron sword from Ocarina of Time. It's like, yes, I'm never going to get another one of these. Again, I've got two of the fucking things, so I displayed one. So whenever I get a legendary weapon, I just go, oh, I'm never going to use this thing. I'll display it in my home. Then inevitably, 20 minutes later, I get another one. I wonder if that's something to do with, like, normally you'd have a mechanic where if you've lost it, or if you've, you've only got one in your inventory, it would maybe encourage the game to give you another one. So I maybe. wonder if doing that and you're getting it, and you're maybe triggering that by putting, you know, the display version, and it says, oh, he's only got could one be. in his inventory, it's time to give him a new one. Could be, yeah, could be. Or it could just be that in uh, Borderlands 2, legendaries were that hard to come by, that if you got one, the game just went, oh, well, you're looking for this one, but you've already got that one, so we're going to trigger the random numbers for that gun again. So you're just going to keep getting that same legendary gun. <laughs> I, uh, I I did see some people try to make stuff with the mecha- like the, the build mechanic, and I saw there was like a glider thing that you can stand on that gets shot out the top, and somebody tried to like staple three of them together and make a giant yeah. glider, and it did not work. I've seen that, uh, again, a friend of the show, Argic, he's currently playing it on his uh, Twitch channel, I'd highly recommend uh, jumping on his channel and giving that a watch, but for the love of God, do not spoil anything for him, because he will fucking ban you. Deservedly so. <laughs> uh, but he made this, he, I think he had about 12 of these fucking gliders and just sellotaped them all together. Just stuck them all together, and then as one ran out, he just kept running along the stack of gliders <laughs> to get, you know, to get onto a glider that wasn't uh, running out, because they all run in a little timer thing. So you're not just getting on this glider and gliding all the way across Hyrule. They run on a, they run on energy, run on batteries. I swear that thing is almost designed to be broken that way. That you would staple four or five together, and you just run from one, burn out one, run the second one, the third one, the fourth one, back to the first one, second one, third one, fourth one, back yeah. to the first. It's that and is what, how. What I love about, what I love about it is people saying like, "Oh, Nintendo never expected me to do this." I'm like, I guarantee you they were. <laughs> There's just stuff you're not going to be able to hit, but. Because Nintendo know how gamer brain works, and everybody, yeah. like everyone who's a gamer, goes, "That's exactly what I would do," and everybody at Nintendo went, "This is exactly what they're gonna do," <laughs> and there would just be invisible walls to get to the stuff you might try and glitch way to, until yeah. some speedrunner finds that if you go at it at a forty-five degree angle and press the A button three times, yeah, just as you impact the wall, you'll actually glitch through it. 
Yeah, if you push the A button at the exact right angle, you can glitch through the tiny little corner that we call, you know, bitch corner or something. Like that. <laughs> and then you'll see somebody YouTuber go, "This is quite an easy skip." Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I seen one of those for Mario sixty four. I think I've spoken about this before. Uh, a guy talking about how he beat a certain level in three button presses, and he's saying, "Oh, this is a particularly easy skip to do." And then he breaks out. Uh, formula board and fucking geometry and angles and physics based puzzles and stuff. This is not an easy skip. If I have to have a blackboard or sorry, multi-purpose board next to me and a piece of chalk to write down all these theory and formula, that's not an easy skip. My favourite is um, I want to say it's Final Fantasy 7 and there's something about like you can ride a chocobo to a certain point and then you jump over a certain way and it skips you over half the game because <laughs> you jump yeah. over your character gets thrown over a certain distance into another uh, hexagon and that causes an entire new part of the world to spawn so when you respawn uh, you can restart the game and you appear on the other side of a, a gap that cuts out maybe like an hour long fight and they're like yeah this is a pretty simple skip and I'm like you don't understand what you did there that <laughs> <laughs> You did wizardry there, my friend. Okay, I don't understand how you knew that would work, but holy shit. Yeah, that's, that's what I like watching. I like watching some speedrun. If the guy, or if the person knows what they're doing and is genuinely interested in a watch, I'll sit and watch fucking speedruns all day just because I'm, I'm in awe of what these people can do. But if you get the same guy just talking about, like I said, like saying, oh, because if you go 8.2% down here and 3% to the right and 8% on the A axis, which... You know, random bullshit like that. Yeah. I'm just going to uh, click off. Explain it to me like I'm five. It's it's a weird kind of combination of like it. It's anything like anything that's technical. The jargon involved is so well understood within the community that once it breaks yeah. out into the mainstream, it seems like absolute nonsense. Yeah, it's the same in the fighting game community as well. Which, to the point, they actually did put out a website called Fighting Game Community Dictionary. <laughs> And that literally, oh, sorry, the fighting game glossary, and it literally translates all the terms that you don't understand. Like, uh, I remember being at a convention years ago, uh, playing Smash Bros. Uh, on the Wii U. This is a while ago now, and I got two characters at the same time. And if you manage to take out two characters at the same time, that is a term from Marvel versus Capcom Three. That is called a happy birthday. And if you get three characters at the same time, that's a merry Christmas. So I said. I got uh, two of the other people that I was playing and I went, oh, happy fucking birthday. And then someone said to me, what the hell does that mean? I went, all oh, right, that means you got two at the same time. Oh, right. <laughs> it's a weird term, though. I don't know why a happy birthday would be better than Merry Christmas, but okay. Or the other way around. But... That's just how it goes, man. Nerds are weird. I don't know. Yeah, God love them. I, uh, I spent my hot, sweaty days playing Orcs Must Die 2, which is a game from, like, 2007 on the Xbox 360. Um, Commander Roscoe and I just sat down for, like, a day and a half. I think, overall, my playtime's about 15 hours. And that was over the course of, like, two and a half, three days. Um, because we got into it, and we're recording the videos, they'll be up on his YouTube channel once he does some editing to them. But we were playing through these at, like, a couple uh, levels in each session, which is about... 20 to 30 minutes roughly and then over the course of like the day we're getting better and better and better and we just hit this uh match called crunch and it, there's just, i don't know why it was so difficult but apparently it is regarded as the hardest game 
the hardest level in the game. And we got stuck. We just couldn't beat it. We got our asses kicked like three or four times. The idea being that there's uh, orcs spawning in trying to get to a portal that you have to defend. And they will, they're AI controlled. And they will march constantly towards your home base and try and get in. And uh, every, everyone that gets through, you lose a point. You lose like 30 points, 50 points, depending on the level. You've lost the game. And crunch is just notoriously hard because you have to deal with four sources of orcs and next to no space in which to actually take them out. Um, there's not all, normally there's like a couple winding corridors or there's like a way you can misdirect them. Crunch has uh, next to none of that. It is a straight line from their spawn point to the uh, to the like the point where they need to get there. And we got so frustrated by this, we stopped recording and went and played. In the, like ourselves and then like just work with um like extra time together to train to beat the level <laughs> which is something we've never done before normally we just we can figure it out on the day we both looked at each other and we're like this we just can't beat this level as we are now we've failed like three or four times we need to go and train in private and come back stronger and kick the share of this thing <laughs> and we did um it turns out you can actually go back and play the first game uh in the second one just you play the levels with all the new tech from the the, the second game. And uh, we kicked the shit out of that. Came back after completing the first game and then went straight into the new level. Using all the upgrades we'd got from the, the points we'd earned. And all the, like, we now had a better understanding of the game. Mm-hmm. We beat it first time without breaking a sweat. Because we basically created uh, two kill points. And the idea is that we put like a, a money box down so that everybody that passes within a certain amount of area gives us this extra money, the money we could use to build more traps. So we've just basically created these concentrated kill zones where we would just spend most of the time worrying about the other half of the map, and then we'd come back to make sure that these kill zones were as effective as possible. And it was just, like, it was just noise and carnage and constant, like, kind of uh, points going up and as a monitoring situation, like, kind of darting back and forth to kind of check on different rooms, like, is this one working? Are we okay in here and I go back and deal with other places that aren't as badly affected but it was by the time we figured out how to beat the level crunch we had broken the game so much that when we finished there's like crunch is the second or third last level and the remaining two levels which are supposed to be the hardest in the game we beat that in 20 minutes um because it was just so simple oh this is nothing compared to crunch we can redirect all these uh flows because you can redirect the path of the orcs because they're set to go from point A to point B with a bit of kind of rudimentary judgment on okay I can go through here but I can't pass through this area so you could just put up barriers and redirect the orcs in a different direction so we just like segmented out parts of the map and just made them walk around different like weird walking pathways so that we could deal with one group and then by the time that we dealt with the first group a second group would show up we'd reset all the traps we'd do all the healing potions and then all of a sudden we'd deal with that second group and then the third group arrives and do the same again, just repeating this pattern. And honestly, we were like, oh, that was that was nothing. Uh that was no problem at all. We were like panicking about all these different stairways and all these different passes we could take. And we're like, oh wait, if we just like kind of put blocks here, here, and here, we could redirect everybody into this one area and just make that into an absolute mess that we personally oversee. And then we can handle it a bit better than we did before. But it was it was fun. It was it was good to be there and just like problem solving as opposed to most of the games I play now which is just like shooting people but hmm. actually having to break down issues I, I plan to play Orcs Must Die 3 at some point probably with them again 
Um, but I having just finished the second game, it was a really good time. I, I don't know what um else I can find in that genre, but it felt yeah. kind of like not tower defense, but kind of like those mobile games that you see, um, where you're just kind of like defending certain points, and it doesn't seem that intense. But when you actually get into the mechanics of it, you can have a lot of fun. Oh, and it was also only about seven pounds a game, so yeah, that's always handy when you can get a cheap old game from back in the day that people paid. 30, 40 pounds for and you just pay like a fiver for it. That, yeah. That also adds to it. I mean, it's only 15 hours of gameplay and that was us mm-hmm. finished the whole game. But, um, I mean, for, you know, five pounds, that's pretty decent. I actually had a bit of that today with a, a game that I've been looking for for a while. I played it on Game Pass, but uh, since then I've been wanting to own a physical copy just because I really enjoy the game. Yeah. Uh, it's a game called Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. And it's the Castlevania, it was one of those kickstarter games that actually turned out to be pretty good it wasn't like mighty number nine where it just became a pile of shit uh this game bloodstained it's castlevania like game but when it came out it was about 30 40 quid but because it was an indie game it was quite sought after i picked up in cex today for a fiver and i was like you know what i'm gonna enjoy this game again so yeah i love shit like that i vaguely recommend i vaguely uh remember this yeah i think i'm pretty sure i've spoken about it before because i remember 100 percenting it uh, getting the secret ending and just raving about it, just going, dude, if you think Castlevania games are dead, play Bloodstained. It's a fucking fantastic game. Yeah, because this came out, and I'm pretty sure is, is this the one that has, like, some of the original creative directors behind the original Castlevania? Yeah, um, it's got Koji Igarashi, who is, uh, he is Mr. Castlevania. He even has the original voice of Alucard from Castlevania Symphony, Symphony of the Night, uh, reprising, his, or reprising a character in the universe. He's not playing Alucard again. I, I fucking phrased that very weirdly, but aye, he he has a, a character in this new game, and it's just cool to hear that guy's voice because it is several octaves lower than a regular human vo- human's voice should be. <laughs> I, uh, I I always like when they go deep with Dracula as opposed to just kind of weird and ephemeral. I guess is the the term where he's just kind of not real, um, as opposed to like giving him this deep kind of predatory voice and. Yeah. I feel like the, the predatory aspect of vampires is better than the kind of like aristocratic one. Yeah. I think the closer you get to... If you, I think the person who actually got it the best was uh, Bela Lugosi. He got that kind of deep, gravelly voice, but again, he had the kind of the aristocratic uh, aspect to it as well. Although I, I'm, I'm never a fan of it when they go too European and Slavic, like in uh, Van Helsing. <laughs> that Van Helsing hear... is so classic. <laughs> I I rewatched it recently, and it is such a bad fucking film. Van Gabriel, Gabriel, Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> speak normally, you fuck. At the bit when he just starts clapping his hands, like I can hear your heartbeat, I can dance to the beat. <laughs> just watching it, I, I I turned it down. And I was like, fucking hell, why did I think this was a good film? And then Kate Beckinsale showed up on screen, and I remembered why. Yeah, and the werewolf animation for it is pretty good as well. I always remember liking yeah. that. Um, but yeah, Kate Beckinsale sells a movie to every guy that's 15 and older. <laughs> yeah. If you were born in the, the the 90s, you watched this film going, yeah, this is good. Everything else around it is garbage. The masterpiece. <laughs> what sells the fucking movie is opera singer Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> I have I when I rewatched that movie like a year ago, I was also taken aback by how not good it is. 
but also the yeah. fact that the opening is in black and white it looks fucking fantastic yeah so i went and found i went and recorded like a bit of the screen when it was on netflix i think and then put it into video editing software that movie works fantastically in black and white because everything is a yeah. real set everything is a texture to it even when it's like the cgi monsters outside like that fight of the uh i want to say it's the three vampire brides um yeah who are probably the worst part of that film <laughs> yeah talk <laughs> about bad european accents they cast some of the best looking women they could find and didn't check to if they could act yeah <laughs> everything's all kind of like kissing and half clawing each other being sexy and like popping the tits out a little bit too much I mean, none of it's actually any good. No. I don't know what the hell it is supposed to be, but it's supposed to be that like the whole kind of we talk about the bestial side of things. I guess they're going for like a kind of pack of wolves type of aspect, but none of it fucking works. But yeah. even that scene when they're out fighting and they're like swooping down on villagers and Van Helsing's like firing across one in the sky, even that looked good in black and white. They just took random chunks out of the film and put it all in black. And white. This looks so good. Kinda wish they could go and find some way of making it. Um, all black and white, doing it properly <laughs> rather than me recording Netflix and then OBS fucking it up somehow. Find a way to make it uh, watchable. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'll take that back. It is watchable. It is fun at the very least to watch because it is just half of it doesn't even fucking make sense. But like you said, it looks good enough, and people seem to be having fun regardless of what the. F- they're doing i um it kind of reminds me of like remember the early marvel movies like all the current stuff is very competent and it's all very got the same style um, yeah but you go back are you to, talking like, about daredevil and like old daredevil angley's hulk angley's hulk i'm gonna save uh sam raimi's spider-man i think that's that's in a separate category by itself that's a those yeah. are quality movies yeah um, those are good films well the first one is but like Electra and stuff, like <laughs> the ones where like we're taking a shot at something, you're like, don't do it. <laughs> no, please stop. Yeah, for every Sam Raimi Spider Man, you get a uh, Fantastic Four one and two. You get Electra. You get fucking uh, Ghost Rider one and two. Like Blade got it right. Spider Man one got it right. I have my own thoughts about Spider Man two. People universally love that film. Spider Man three shit. Uh, but yeah. There was just so many missed shots in the early MCU, if you can even call it that. It's kind of amazing that Iron Man's the one that got it right enough to make people go, "Okay, this is the way we do it." Yeah, this is how this is what we build from to you know become a, a global empire of of movie making. So yeah, although I'm going to use this opportunity to talk about a couple of Marvel films that I saw over the week. Uh, one of which, in fact, no, I'd say both of which are solid 9 out of 10 films. Uh, but I kind of want to address them. You were talking about uh, bad Marvel films, you know, back in the day, back in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> one of which I'm now remembering, Daredevil has a fight with Electra on a rooftop in the rain <laughs> to Evanescence. Enough, to quote the man himself, enough said. Uh, but yeah, I went to see uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which was a fucking phenomenal film i genuinely loved the shit out of this film it builds on the first movie and almost every aspect i'll get to what it, it kind of missed for me and then i went to see guardians of the galaxy 3 which uh, for james gunn's potentially final marvel film it's a fucking great one 
he wraps up everybody's individual stories. He gives that kind of emotional gut punch for a uh, rocket raccoon. Uh, he kind of he gives a bit more backstory. He gives a bit more story for Peter and Gamora. He even gives Mantis and uh, Drax and Nebula. They get their own little character moments. Uh, he introduces some new characters, and of course, since it's James Gunn, Michael Rooker shows up, and the the climax of the film, the ending of the film, is genuinely such a good payoff that I, I remember leaving there thinking, kind of like that uh, Gordon Ramsay meme, like, finally, some good fucking food. <laughs> because what makes these films stick out even more to me now is the fact that they're getting released in and around the same time as such other mediocre Marvel films. Uh, I think when we tried to record last episode, when we tried to record that the first time, we started talking about how I tried to sit through Ant-Man and the Wasp and turned it off because I was tired and I couldn't really be out staying up and watching it. But I finished the whole film. And if I had to put a number to it, it would just be a five because it wasn't god-awful. It did do some things well and it got a few laughs at me. But it wasn't fantastic. There were so many things that I just think, well, you could do more with that. Bill Murray doesn't need to be in there. Modoc can fuck off. Uh, you know, for a film called Ant-Man and the Wasp, Ant-Man's kind of barely in it. It should be called The Wasp because Michelle Pfeiffer and... In fact, aye, Michelle Pfeiffer and Kang, uh, Kang's actor Jonathan Majors, who is getting recast at this point, they do most of the heavy lifting. Everything is done through their eyes because it's um, Michelle Pfeiffer's... Janet, she's playing a character called Janet Van Dyne. Uh, she's the original Wasp, and it's talking about how she was stuck in the quantum realm. Uh, you find out that she helped Kang and all this shit. Uh, up to the point where... Uh, Ant-Man, Ant-Man's daughter and the original Ant-Man, Hank Pym, they could just be taken out of this film. They could be doing something completely different. To be fair, they, which they do, to be honest, they actually just kind of go off and do some own thing Well, Michelle Pfeiffer is getting hunted by Kang. And I was just looking at it going, oh yeah, there's cool set pieces, but they're still, it still feels just, eh, feels bland. And they're still doing with the fucking CGI nanotech helmets. Which... I was gonna say, is I'm Hank, getting fucking is Hank bored Pym with. Still being played by Michael Douglas. Yes, a noticeably different sounding Michael Douglas because of throat cancer. Yeah, but yeah, he uh, he does a good job. He's again another highlight of the film. Uh, Paul Rudd, I'm convinced that no matter what he does, there's still going to be some charming quality to it because he's just he, he's a likable guy. I'll say that he's a likable guy. But uh, the guy that's playing. Uh, Modoc, Corey Stoll. You can tell he's trying to be awkward and he mission accomplished because his character fucking sucks. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just a kind of uh, nothing really to talk about because it was just it didn't do anything wrong enough for me to tear it to pieces and it didn't do anything right enough for me to praise it. It's that kind but of base can... level Marvel for Athena 4 out of 10. Yeah, like, you know, you've, like you've it's, it's a solid four and a half to five out of ten. But then contrast that to you know the newer stuff that's you know the, the good stuff, the um, Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, it, actually having that shadow there makes the highlights seem a bit brighter. Oh yeah, definitely. Because if you go to that Ant Man and the Wasp is just gonna, it, it seems to just be hitting all the points it needs to. Hit. Then you go to Gardens of the Galaxy, and it's actually a fun film to watch because they're they're doing the there's a heist on a 
on a planet where they need to get one thing to help out Rocket Raccoon because he's been hit with some kind of he's taken a, a pretty heavy hit and the only way to heal him is to find a kill switch that stops the cybernetic thing on his heart otherwise he'll die so they have to kind of almost kill him to save him kind of thing but if they go in there and just start performing surgery on him the, the kill switch thing on his heart will just kill him so they need to go find this code to turn that off and they have to break into a big facility and there's a genuine fun moment there and then you get the good character moments because there are good, uh, good character moments between Peter and Mantis because you find out in a Christmas special that those two through ego are brother and sister which oh. I thought that's pretty cool it makes sense that she's born of ego the living planet and Peter is the same thing they're both of that of that ilk, so it makes sense to be sister or brother and sister, and it kind of creates this weird dynamic about them. And uh, Drax the Destroyer is just becoming more of a more of an idiot, but a lovable idiot. Uh, Rocket Raccoon, for the bit there, the bit of it that he's in the film, uh, he's still a sort of little bastard, but you get more of his backstory as well, like his dealings with the High Evolutionary, his dealings with uh, all the people on Counter Earth. And him basically being just a regular run-of-the-mill raccoon until someone shoved all these cybernetics in him, and then he became the most lethal little fucker, but one of the most intelligent things that could build a key card out of random scraps of metal. Hmm. And also, Nathan Fillion shows up at some point. Okay, I mean, you'd see him getting work, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they break into that uh, that big facility to try and get the code to stop the device. And then Nathan Fillion's just running security. I was like, oh, okay. It's good to see that Nathan Fillion gets defibbed and chucked out there every now and again, so it's good to see him still getting work. Uh, and yeah, Chris Pratt actually does a good job of kind of holding things together, which is a weird thing to say. Because you're used to Chris Pratt's characters being the fuck-up. Yeah. But he does a really good job of kind of being the glue and holding shit together. Him and Mantis do a really good job of that. Or not him and Mantis, him and uh, Karen Gillan's character Nebula do a really good job of just holding shit together. The competent grown-ups. Yeah, definitely. Although, one thing I found out, uh, people hate Chris Pratt, and I, I don't know why. I what think he do? oversaturation. The Jurassic yeah. World films have really done a number on his career. Yeah. The first one, fine. Everything first one's else, good, second one sucks. Kind of dick. <laughs> I haven't and, even seen the latest one, and that as someone who loves, you know, Sam Neill, uh, fuck, I can't remember her name, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldblum in those films, to have not seen that film, is a fairly big step for me. Because I, I, when I heard that they were going to be in the film, I was like, yeah, I'll go and fucking watch that. They're bringing back Alan Grant, Ellie Sattler, and whoever the fuck Jeff Goldblum is playing. Uh, I mean, there's that. Then there's the Mario movie, which it's a me, the Mario. <laughs> yeah. Which which wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it was still a child's movie. Uh, what, what was the other one? There was one he did for Amazon that was just fucking garbage. The Tomorrow War. That <laughs> was one of the worst things I'd ever seen. It was just garbage. Um, hmm. I think the problem is that he's everywhere, and when they realise, they kind of felt like it feels like Marvel looked at him and said, oh, we've got another Paul Rudd on our hands where he's just this effortlessly charming guy. That is, he can go on talk shows and be funny and witty and stuff like that. And he he's got comedy background. He can tell jokes. He knows how to deliver like. And they just kind of put him out everywhere. So whenever you see marketing for anything he's in, it's always him. He's got that kind of leading man draw, 
that they have with like The Rock and um, Paul Rudd. Yeah. You know when you know he was part of it. Um, Robert Downey Jr. would always be in interviews and stuff like that. He, they're just everywhere whenever they have a project coming, and they disappear for like months at a time, and mm. they come back and oh, he must have a new project out because that's the only reason we see him. I think that's why people get fed up of uh, uh, Chris Pratt. That there is a set a small subsection of people who don't like the fact that he's um, very Christian. And I think he said some stuff that has robbed the LGBTQ community the wrong way. And I think it was, um, there was another one about him, the fact that he has, like, taught his kids how to, like, kill and pluck chickens. And people oh, you shouldn't show kids that. And I'm like, I'm sorry, that's part of, like, human life for thousands of years. And all of a sudden we're too good to, you know, kill our own food. Like, get over yourselves, fucking children. <laughs> yeah. So, I remember, I do actually remember him. Part his church is a famously anti LGBTQ ch- uh, church. Yeah, and he's just like I'm pretty sure he came out multiple times, just saying, "Nah, it's, it's not that. It really isn't that." But I, I don't know. I just I, I never understand why people were just relentlessly bashing the guy out with the whole. Every time there's a voice that needs to be done, they seem to look at Chris Pratt. Yeah, I mean he's gonna be Garfield for fuck. Like what? Gar- yeah, Garfield and that- Mario. I, I I mean, yeah, he has a shitty opinion on gay people, but, like, I don't understand the need for your, your actors to be perfect. Like, they're an actor, they're yeah. a job. Like, people who do a certain job also can have shitty opinions. Acting is just a job. He's not a hero. He's not a solid... He's not, like... It doesn't matter, you know? Chris Pratt disappears tomorrow. They find a new Chris Pratt. Yeah, absolutely. Not a special, unbelievable, godlike individual. I don't... I never understood that and it's something that i get actively more annoyed by every time like i think about you know i, I don't want to say society because it sounds a bit like a joke line you know? yeah we treasure these celebrities in our society like i'm not leaning into that but at the same time like we give us a shit <laughs> yeah i mean that's always been my uh, uh philosophy on things even to the point where uh i was called out for i i met a Pretty famous comedian at this point, a uh, uh, a guy called Daniel Sloss. I met that guy in Edinburgh around about fringe time, uh, and I was completely hammered, absolutely hammered. And I went over and said, "Oh my, like just been quite uh, trying to be pleasant with him, despite the fact that I was drunk. He knew I was drunk. He was just like kind of he was taking the piss at me that way." And I said, "You really forget a photo together?" And he went, "Yeah, sure, no problem." Took a photo. And then as I walked away, some woman came up to me and went, "Do you know who that was?" I was like, yeah, it's Daniel Sloss. He was pretty cool to take a photo of me. He was like, you just insulted him. I went, yeah. He's a comedian. He's used to it. <laughs> but I remember the only thing I said to him was, uh, what the fuck are you doing here? You've been on Conan and shit. <laughs> and he just laughed at me, patted me on the back, and went, hey, enjoy your night, mate, and walked away. And I, I thought that was a pretty cool moment. But yeah, this woman, she's, these are, these are celebrities. These are our betters. I just thought, we are but humble people. They are, they are gods astride our, our world. <laughs> and me, a bit nine Jack Daniel Steep, just going, you fucking, you're famous, man. Why the hell are you in Scotland? <laughs> you have money. <laughs> you have money. You can leave. You should leave. <laughs> but the fact that I made them laugh about it was pretty good. I, um... yeah, I, I don't understand this, like, this celebrity thing, but yeah, fuck it. We could talk about that for. Uh, talk about that for days. I, I want to get back to talking about uh, Spider-Man. 
because Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse genuinely one of the best films I've seen in the past few years. The only thing I would say is better than it is the first one only because the soundtrack I feel was much better. Not that I'm saying the the soundtrack in the second film is bad. Uh, The soundtrack in the first film is all hype, it's all build because it's Miles rising to the occasion. It's Miles accepting that I have these powers, I can't run away from it anymore, I have to be Spider-Man. And it's got that young Uh, kid energy. I I hear Postmolan Sunflower and I immediately can see Miles Morales just kind of bounce walking down the street. Yeah, you hear what's up danger and you automatically just think, you know, fucking, you're ready for Such anything. A good song. <laughs> yeah, fucking amazing song. That that entire soundtrack is godlike. Then in the second film, the song, it's a bit more, uh, pardon me, it's a bit more reflective and it's a bit more introspective because it's all, all about Miles coming to terms with the fact that everyone's pointing a finger in his face saying, like, you, you shouldn't do this, you can't do this, you know. You need to pay attention to this. You need to pay attention to that. It's other people try to decide what Miles should be doing. So the fact that the soundtrack reflects that, I think, is pretty good. But yeah, I'd say in terms of soundtracks, the first one definitely gets the one up. But in terms of actual, in terms of film and theater spectacle, the second film just takes it because it is at a certain point it's just big set piece after big set piece, and it doesn't become labored because they're all quite different because of the different Spider Men around them. Like you've got uh, Oscar Isaac playing uh, Spider-Man 2099, Miguel O'Hara. He's playing the kind of leader of the Spider Society. Uh, then you've got uh, Spider-Punk, played by Daniel Kaluuya, who's just this kind of anti-establishment punk spider, basically, who the internet has seemed to take into uh, quite quite swiftly. They fucking love that guy. Up until the point where the Spider-Man or Spider-Verse-themed action figures are all sold out. And the Hobie Brown one, who's uh, the actual Spider-Punk's name, his figures on back order for months, which I find pretty fucking funny. I did go look up Punk Spider-Man, and it is exactly what I hoped it would be. Spider-Man yep. with a choker, and then, like, metal spikes at the top of his head. Yeah. And a ripped, uh, ripped denim jacket as well, around the spider with, Yeah, with the spiders from on the back as FNSM, like a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, which is a pretty good... Uh, that's cool. If you were to try and draw like fan art as a teenager, saying "I want Spider-Man to be punk," that is yeah. exactly what I'd want to see, and it looks for, it, yeah. it's poster ready, like it's so perfect, like yeah, you want absolutely. that hanging in your kid's bedroom. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Although, it, because of how British, how English he sounds, some of his dialogue gets lost. There are certain points I had to. I leaned over and said, "What the fuck did he just say?" Because he was so. British, as the as the Yanks would say, wrongly. I couldn't understand them. Still had fun watching the film, and then you get other spiders. Like uh, you get the Scarlet Spider from the old sort of nineties cartoons and the old nineties comic run. He's voiced by Andy Samberg, just playing an edgy as hell Spider Man, which I thought was pretty cool. And then you get the guy, the cab driver from Deadpool, playing an Indian version of Spider Man, which is funny as fuck. I, I like the idea that somebody just goes, "What can we? Which culture can we run Spider Man?" Yeah. <laughs> And that's basically what it is. It's just, can we get an Old West Spider-Man whose horse has a spider mask? You bet fucking ass we can. I was going to say, there was, there was like a Spider-Man that's a horse as well, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. He is called the Web Slinger. Right. Gunslinger, His gun shoots nice. spider webs. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so stupid, but it's so good. <laughs> it's, it's great. And it all builds up to this big confrontation with uh, Miles and, and Miguel. Uh, and 
having grown up watching all these different spider things, to see them all appear in cameos in this one film is pretty fucking cool. Yeah, and, and they do the finger pointing meme. There you go. You got it. Yeah, they do that. I think they do it twice. Ah, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, I think, they, I think they pull it off twice and it doesn't get grating. The first time you're expecting it, the second time you just think, okay, they're doing it again, but it's still kind of funny. All right. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it... I'd, I'd, I'd highly recommend going to see the film. I enjoyed the show. It's an interesting franchise, and I'm so glad that it's being made outside of the main canon. We just get this weird because, like, that's how we grew up with Spider Man. Was Spider Man was his own separate TV show when we were kids, and yet yeah. the occasional show up as like part of the X Men thing, or there'd be a crossover here and there because it was all mm. owned by Fox. But the idea that it gets to just kind of be its own separate thing while everyone's talking about the MCU constantly, like, it gets to be its own little pocket dimension. Yeah, it is connected to the MCU because they do drop several references to the mcu in it but it's not a case of we build our you know we built our house on top of all these references just they're there if they cut out they don't really take away anything from the film but at the same time it's a little nugget in there like uh you've seen spider-man homecoming right yes do you remember that childish gambino showed up in that yes he's a weapons dealer yeah he is playing a character aaron davis who is miles morales's uncle who is a, he's a villain called the Prowler. So mm-hmm. as a kind of, as a reference to that, they have a Childish Gambino show up in the Prowler costume, but he's trapped in a in a prison. And he, he kind of just looks at Miles and says, what the hell are you looking at? And I thought, that's pretty fucking cool. I like, I like shit like that. Because it's not dwelling on it, it's just showing the fact that he exists. We've caught him, he's going back to his own planet. Mm-hmm. I like shit like that. It's that nice level of kind of like, it's not a full investment in like a 10 minute bit about this one character. It's just, hey, these things are still connected. They're still tied. It's a little yeah. stitch between the two universes. It's not like um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that was on, uh, I think it was ABC, where it's just, oh, every five minutes they just have to put in these fucking annoying references to the MCU. Like at one point, the main character walks into a room that's been busted up by a. Uh, a fight or something like that and she goes wow did the hulk fight thor in here this place is a mess even tony stark couldn't rebuild this building and that was in season two and i was like, okay turn this off never watching agency shield again <laughs> guys you can write other jokes you know <laughs> yeah you have the ability to write more than this this is big bang theory level humor fuck this i'm leaving <laughs> you can't make me stay uh, yeah i think even big bang theory would struggle to get a dialogue that cheesy. But yeah, so I mean, Spider-Verse, is, that's not out on Disney. It's, that's because it's Sony, isn't it? Yeah, it's Sony. I, if you want to watch Into the Spider-Verse, uh, the first film, I'm pretty sure you can watch it on Now TV. I can just steal someone's Blu-ray, to be honest. Yeah, just get the Blu-ray. Uh, even the Blu-ray for Across the Spider-Verse is coming out soon. Comes out in July. So, oh, nice. not that long to wait. And this is the, like, with it being an animation, it's got stuff that I quite like to like dig into. So, yeah. getting the Blu ray pack might be worth it to just kind of go to the special features. But, oh, how do you do this? Yeah. On oh, the animation is absolutely one of the peak things about it. It is, it's a different style of animation and it is meant to emulate a comic. And it does that 
pretty fucking well. Is it the same thing where they're animating uh, on 12 frames per second for the characters, but 24 for everything else? Because that was the first one, was like 12 frames per second for yeah, characters. Yeah, I, I think it's a bit smoother this time, but yeah, they're still trying to copy that. The characters move in a very certain way. They move very smoothly. But yeah, it's definitely still copying that first first one style. Okay, maybe the, the, the frame rate to something a bit more 18... Maybe closer to twenty four. I remember being very distinct. It was a very good style for them to pick on one of the movies. So I think that actually helped it stand out because then you got animation geeks talking about it. So it became more than just there's a new Spider Man product. Yeah, and that was definitely one of the talking points from from everybody. Just going, oh, you need to see this thing. The animation's crazy, and I'm I'm always a fan of uh, Kirby dots when you see the energy and there's like this kind of weird pulsing dot thing inside the energy beam. Oh yeah, I'm always a fan of seeing that. I find that interesting. You see, it's similar ideas in manga that you get that, that you just have like a, a texture to fill in some spaces sometimes, and it's not always dots. Sometimes it's more like uh, tartan or like woven lines and stuff like that. Mm. But sometimes you just see it in the in the background of like, especially more modern stuff. Um, yeah, you know, Junji Ito doesn't use it at all. Um, his yeah. stuff's a bit more kind of classic, but then like more modern stuff, you can see there's like a digital fill pattern. On certain things, you're like, oh, that's, that's interesting. It doesn't always like add a lot to the scenes, but like if if you think about like the opposite of just leaving all the space blank, when you look at an, uh, manga series, especially ones that have gone on for longer, um, I think the example that somebody used once was either Bleach or Naruto, and you look at the original, uh, like first initial like fifty comic books. There's so much like, everything's filled in. There's detail and everything. There's little like background art. And then you skip forward to like the end fifty chapters. And it's like, oh, like they just they ran out of time to fill in the background art, so they've just kind of left it as a blank space. And sometimes it's very effective. Sometimes it really does help isolate subjects and make for an interesting like short composition. But then sometimes you see it and you're like, oh, that's just like a blank space that you've left there because it takes too long to fill in the background. So considering what it did to like Berserk, I can kind of see why they leave it blank because. Mira was obsessed with drawing every little fucking twist and knot on a boat, and it's like you didn't need to do all this, bro. <laughs> we can we can live without every little nook and cranny of this. Yeah, but aren't you glad you did though? Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I get what you mean though. I just I just like seeing older style comic book stuff in the modern films because you look at I'm I'm going to pick on the Eternals again because quite frankly it deserves it at this point. You look at the old costume style for the Eternals and it is just Jack Kirby. To a T, it is bright, it is really, really intricately designed, it is cool, functional costumes. And then you see them in the Eternals, the film, and they're just Power Rangers. And so anything that tries to translate old-style artwork concepts to, to live action or to animation, I'm all for it. Just because it shows off what comic books are. It's cool, funky shit. Not just, oh, here's a guy in a red suit, or here's a woman in a red suit, she can run fast, but she's deaf, or she was mute. Like, here's a that guy from Game of Thrones, he's in a blue suit, he looks like Superman, he's Superman, but with none of the personality. I'm looking at the, the original designs versus the, the comic book stuff. Uh, or the, the, the current movie designs versus the comic books, and you're like, oh, this is a definitely different approach. And again, like it stems back from... Um, like comic books seem to be immediately visually identifiable 
basically, yeah. you know, even with a, a, vo- a voice that you can easily identify, you can just get an immediate look at somebody, you know, oh, that's so-and-so, that's a different character. They are wicked designs, though. I actually kind of like them. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd actually check this out if it wasn't a shithole of a movie. <laughs> yeah. Who is that? Craig Jones, the keyboard and, uh, like, sampler for Slipknot, is splitting up from Slipknot. So, hooray, more of our childhood is disappearing into the void. Yeah. Uh, and while so. no information has been revealed, I think we can all just assume that at 51, he could just be hanging up the keyboard. Hanging up the keyboard. Uh, hanging up the weird spike mask, who knows. It's, yeah, hanging up the spikes. It's, uh, I mean, I hope it's all, like, fine. Like, we we hear very little about Slipknot's inner workings. Um, but obviously, we also found out that Clown is on a little hiatus while he helps his wife through some sickness. So, yeah, I mean, just we talked about the how much we love the fact the band is maturing, but obviously this is the, the other side of that coin, where you know the band is just getting older as well as maturing. It's uh, it's a shame, but you know, as long as they're, um, as long as they're kind of you know still okay with each other. I mean, you take to find out that your favorite childhood band is just they all hate each other and just are in it for the money. Yeah. Which I can imagine happened, has happened before with a few bands. I know Motley Crue, they rejoined under the most financial of circumstances. They, they, there was just animosity between the whole band and Vince Neil. And then I'm pretty sure their farewell tour this time is actually just a, right, let's do it one more time, ring it out for cash, and then we never have to see each other again. My, uh, my favourite, or least favourite one, depending on how you look at it, is Kiss. You're like, no, we don't actually need to be a part of KISS anymore. We could just give the, the tracks to a new generation and have them be Starface and, you know, Gene Simmons and stuff, and they would be yeah. the, the people that are the new KISS, and KISS would just sign off on that and not give a shit anymore. And it's like, that's a weirdly corporate view of rock and roll. <laughs> that's yeah. Not that is, exactly what the genres yeah, do. Then again, Gene Simmons at this point is barely a, an artist. He's just a businessman. I can see him just signing over. It's like, okay, you're the new. Uh, I think he was the demon. Yeah. Because there was the demon, the angel, then the other two. I can't remember. If my older brother was here, he'd be able to tell me I think chapter and verse as to who they were. It is literally just called Starface. One of them. <laughs> Star- I want to say the Star Child. Yeah. Starman. I don't know. All I know is that kids were crazy motherfuckers that put their blood into comic books. Uh, but yeah, that that's such a weird kind of, oh, right, you are the next, it's a very uh, Korean pop group type of sensibility for music, especially in rock, you are the next kiss, you are kiss too. It, it is the Star Child, the Demon, the Spaceman, and the Catman. <laughs> and then Cat you, you have former members, uh, the Space Ace, the Fox, the Ankh Warrior, and then people who are just like unnamed members of the, the production that is Kiss. Um, but no, so far it just seems like the only people who are active from the start are Paul Stanley as the star child and Gene Simmons as the demon. Yeah. Good guess on the demon. <laughs> yeah, and I remember because I had an old Dreamcast game that was called Kiss Psycho Circus. Oh no. That I, my brother bought. I remember watching him play it and the only two characters that he would pick were Ace Frehley or Gene Simmons and they were called uh, the demon and the star child. So I was just trying to remember off the back of that. But yeah, I, I remember finding that recently that KISS is actually an acronym. It stands for Knights in Satan's Service. Huh. 
I mean, it makes them a little bit more cool, but at the same time, they're still Kiss. So, yeah, I mean, Kiss are a good band. They've got at least a few good, a few good songs. My, but apparently, live they're just boring. My dad has the Kiss lore because obviously he was around for the whole thing and was actively engaged in it all. And he, um, he enjoyed Kiss songs. He liked their like their best hits. He enjoys, but he says that the albums themselves are kind of bad. That you basically pick out the highlights and you just leave the rest. Um, yeah, and he likes to talk about the fact that they at one point did a separate project where they were weirdly self-indulgent and did a, an album each. So each member basically fronted an album. They were mm. responsible for all the writing, all the song instrumentation and stuff like that, and they just they perform it as a band. But it's each individual artist or each individual member made an album for themselves and they released four albums in a year. And he said they were all shit. <laughs> <laughs> so. Dad's not a Kiss fan, but at the same time, if you ever need the lore, I, I go to him and I'm like, explain yeah. this nonsense to me, please. Yeah, back when bands had deep dives in lore to them. I mean, not since Guar have I seen any band with a detailed lore background to them. Guar, they have an entire background, like D&D level backstory for each of their characters, and then if one of those characters dies, it's not that they phased out, it's that they died in some kind of historic battle. With wizards and demons and all that. Yeah, with wizards and demons and uh, some guy called Techno Destructor who they had a beef with, but then he took his character and he still tours as his Guar character, Techno Destructor. <laughs> I, uh, I would say Ailstorm were trying to do that with their general kind of legacy, but yeah. then the guy who's the head of Ailstorm is the head of like five other bands. And it yeah, just, I was going to say, is he, he was involved, the, the guy that was in Ailstorm, he was involved in Glory Hammer. And so many other fucking bands. Oh, it's Glory Hammer, Power Wolf, and then he just he does his own music as Angus McFife. And I'm like, yeah. fucking Christ. Well, I've heard that guy's a dick. That's a shame. <laughs> I've heard bad things about the, that band. And to be fair, at my older age, I refuse to be associated with any band called Fife. That has Fife <laughs> in the name. Fuck Fife. I, I cannot explain to anyone just why the entire Scotland is like, fuck Fife. I think it may yeah. be because they refer to themselves as the Kingdom of Fife. Like, immediately, yeah. fuck you in the face. <laughs> Pretentious fucks. Fifers are knifers, nothing royal about you. And yeah, if you meet somebody from Fife who's honest, they're like, we just love heroin. <laughs> <laughs> heroin and fish and chips. That's, if we could combine the three, fish, chips and heroin, we'd be happy people. Happy dead people. Every time I go into the like local chip shop, they're like, what do you want in it? And I'm like, salt and sauce. I immediately imagine somebody in fact being like, salt and heroin, please. <laughs> heroin and sauce. Not red sauce. Brown sauce pairs better with heroin. I like that I go into my local place and say salt and sauce, and they don't even touch the tomato sauce bottle. It's straight to the brown. Yes, you know what's up. <laughs> I actually This is a distinguished recently, establishment. Yeah. I recently have went so anti-tomato sauce, it is unbelievable. I used to be a tomato sauce guy. I used to put... There's only two meals I will still have tomato sauce with, and that's a... There's going to be some Scottish people that listen to this and going to, they're going to count this as sacrilege, but I still have tomato sauce on stovies, which is traditionally a brown sauce dish, mm -hmm. and I still have a tomato sauce with fish and chips. Apart from that, don't touch the stuff anymore. Cannot fucking stand it. And it's all because I bought a bottle of, you know, fairly cheap tomato sauce, and it tasted like a bowl of sugar with half a tomato on it. Mm. It was fucking disgusting. And since then, I haven't really touched the stuff. 
very very rarely i'm now a, a hp brown sauce guy hp sauce on a rolling sausage hp sauce on fucking everything unless it's wings in which case it's blue cheese yeah blue blue cheese and go fucking mother <laughs> I, I had the same thing where i had races as a kid and from the age of like 16 to 17 didn't have any sauce at all i used to have fish and chips with vinegar underrated like seriously <laughs> yeah the because uh, it's got that same tang as brown sauce but without actually having all the sugar in sauce and when i came back to having sauces again because you're not supposed to have highly sugary concentrated stuff on your your braces or it damages the connection teeth um we had uh like we i just had tomato sauce or something it was like this sucks and then went back to brown sauce and that's got the tang it's a bit more of a I don't want to say some more mature flavor because it's still like you know a squeezy bottle sauce. Yeah, um, yeah, that was a brown sauce. Immediately came right back and said, "Oh, that's um, much better than tomato sauce." And just immediately ditched it. Whereas my yeah. younger brothers are like squeezing entire bottles of tomato sauce and macaroni and cheese. I'm like, "What are you doing, fucking animal?" Oh, there's one thing that I cannot fucking abide by. Again, I don't eat cheese, but if you put macaroni, if you're having macaroni and cheese or pizza, and you squeeze tomato fucking ketchup on it. Get out. I don't want to do fucking business with you. But you've also just reminded me of something that happened the last time I went to a steakhouse in Glasgow. Uh, genuinely, best steak you can get in the, in the central belt of Scotland. It's a place called Finsbury Flatiron. It's run by a former Glasgow Warriors captain, Al Kellock, and part-owned by current Scotland captain, Stuart Hogg. Absolutely phenomenal feed. I think it's £10 for your steak. Uh, your sides are like three quid each. Uh, if you go there with a big group, it can get kind of pricey. But if you go there just yourself, it's pretty affordable. You get a phenomenal feed there. I took a bunch of friends there, and we're all getting these. I get mine blue because I'm an idiot, apparently. I just like how it tastes. Uh, everyone else is ordering these delicious steaks. I get peppercorn sauce. I get the thick-cut chips. And they were sitting tucking into them, and everyone's going, fucking well done, Dom. This is a fantastic feed. And then one child just says, can I get some ketchup for the steak, please? And everyone just turned on mass and looked at him like, excuse me, you behave at this table. You fucking behave at this table. We are God-fearing community, sir. Fuck you. For the chips, right, go for the chips. But for the steak, no. Yeah, I would would have let it slide because my initial thought was, tomato sauce, oh no, he's got chips. Then it was the person sitting next to me who went, he's not got chips. I went, is he getting tomato sauce for that steak? After ordering... A delicious peppercorn sauce, right? It was just the entire room turned on them, and the waiter even said, "Tomato sauce, eh? You sure? Okay, I'll, I'll go and get you that." I even pained the waiter. <laughs> yes, sir. The customer is always right, even they're a fucking moron. <laughs> exactly. It's like I'll accept condiments on certain things, right? I'm kind of more. Uh, the more burgers I'm trying, I'm more accepting that uh, the grease from a burger is a condiment. I'm not a big fan of sauce and burgers anymore. Mm. Uh, but people that, uh, again, I'm going to call it argic here because I've eaten, I've had at conventions, I've had lunch with him, lunch with him many, many times. But we'll get a, just say a five guys burger. He orders it plain and then gets about seven packets of ketchup and just puts them on the burger and then covers it in salt and I'm just looking at you, looking at it, I'm going dude, just enjoy the burger man don't, don't load a, it up with salt it's a decent pie it's, it's a good it's a good burger and then yeah, you just I mean, Five Guys is a 
is a fantastic feed. Again, I've been watching a lot of Australian stuff, so all food is now a feed. Uh, fantastic feed out of this place, but uh, it's expensive enough. I mean, it's now I've heard that it's twenty quid or something for a, a chips drink and burger out of Five Guys. Not gonna lie, I'd still pay for it because I, I do. It's one. Of, it's probably the best fast food burger that you can get. But it's a. Uh, why are you murdering it with all this taste distracting stuff? You're putting salt on it. Sure, salt belongs on chips. You don't put infinite amounts of salt on your burger and then cover it and just dump out tomato sauce. You're not tasting anything apart from sugar. Also, okay, I, I don't know how much burgers you could get home. Have you started toasting your buns? Oh, dude, uh, you need to catch up. I've been doing that since day dot. I've oh, been doing that I, since I, day I'm, dot. I'm checking because I've been doing it as well oh, right, for right. a couple of years now. And I'm like, I, is everyone aware of this? Because that is a game changer. <laughs> You don't need to right. overburn you, it, you just need to toast them a little bit. You don't even need to toast both sides, just get the inside of it nice and crispy, so when you put the burger on it, all the juices and stuff sink in, and it doesn't just bleh, leak everywhere. Yeah, I, I noticed that one day, my parents don't do it, and I've, I've told them off. <laughs> I'm like, this, is, this is how we do things in this house now. I'm telling you right now. I don't live here anymore, but this is how we do it. <laughs> I immediately went in, to toast the buns for like a couple minutes, and that'll do, and it'll just dry out the bread a little bit, it'll soak in all the juices from the burger, we're done here, we don't need to worry about it. Yeah, just got a little bit of, a little bit of char, a little bit of brown on it. That's all you need, you don't need to go mental. But, yeah. Shout out to First Week Feast, uh, for showing me that. Same company does Hot Ones, but they also yeah. have uh, George Motts, the burger guy. That guy oh, the knows... the burger scholar. He knows more about burgers than you know about anything. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I, fuck your I law don't... degree. <laughs> he knows more yeah. about burgers than you know about law. <laughs> Yeah, I, I will. I will admit that. Yeah, but he he made this this burger and it was a smash burger and it had onions grilled into it. I don't like onions, but this thing looked fucking delicious. I'm I'm all about burgers, jalapeno burgers, onions, jalapenos, and the cheese on top to just smush everything together, and just oh, some kind of hot sauce normally because of course I do. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, yeah, that's that's my burger. And now I'm really hungry, and I shouldn't have said that because I've just had dinner <laughs> before we started recording. I shouldn't have said that. Now I'm fucking. Yeah, as we're recording, I'm getting uh, threats from my older brother who's sitting trying to play Spider Man on the PS5. We were sitting talking about burgers and shit, and he's just saying, Stop making me fucking hungry. And to be fair, I am now quite hungry, so I'll probably go and make myself a bagel or something after we finish recording. Uh, so, in the meantime, let's just distract ourselves with. Uh... The weird news coming out of Twitch, which is that they don't like that you make money on Twitch. Yeah. Uh, this is a weird one that came out a couple of days ago. I want to say it's like 24 hours at this point. Um, but there are new branded content guidelines. Now, branded content is the idea that you are paid to do something. So normally a, a service or something will, an advertiser will come up and say, we'd like to sponsor your stream. You're going to play whatever you want normally, or you'll play a certain game that we'll pay you to play. You'll, you'll play for a couple hours, we'll pay you this much money. And you'll advertise the service that we're providing. Um, and Twitch is like, nah, how about no? <laughs> they have new branded content guidelines that roughly summarized are that you're, you can't have a burnt-in video ad. So you can't pre-make an advert and have it play during your stream. Um, you can't display an advert, so you can't have like a banner image that appears saying, hey, you should check out this. Use code this to get 10% off of whatever it is we're playing. And you can't do audio ads, which is obviously you'd play a, the example. Dom and I were talking about this before stream or for the recording, and we were talking about the fact that 
um, if you were advertising, say, audiobook services, because there's an audiobook service that is particularly popular, they come along and say, hey, check out, like, advertise your our product on your stream, we'll pay you to do it, just play an excerpt of the audiobook. So to, just to make sure they've got all the bases covered, which has said, fuck you, and done all of these little rules, including the idea that on-stream logos are only to be allowed to be 3% your screen size. Although, interestingly enough, I did see um, Harris Heller breaking this down. He's a, a content creator on YouTube. He makes videos about how to make better YouTube videos and how to make better Twitch streams. And I go to him generally for advice on anything because he's very wise in terms of the amount of time he spent on social media platforms. He grew up in the Vine era, which is like, damn, that's, uh, that's an experienced uh, content creator. I think that qualifies him as a sage. <laughs> yeah, he has sage wisdom, I'll give him that. But he pointed out the fact that in the advert they used, or the example they used for this announcement from Twitch, the logo they used was actually more than 3% of the screen. <laughs> <laughs> for an acceptable thing, they actually used something that was... Technically, it's like one of those petty things ever. But since Twitch are being so petty, it's a case of fuck you, Twitch. We're we're gonna go with uh, we're gonna get petty as well. Um, yeah, but, I mean, if if Twitch are actively going out there to try and stop partners and affiliates from making a decent amount of money, because there's a lot of people, there's a staggering amount of people that go on Twitch and that is their livelihood. And they're saying to people, yeah, you can't make more money off that. It has to come through us, and we have to take more money off you because of it. That doesn't make sense. That's just greedy, and especially coming from Amazon. That's yeah. just greed. Because Twitch is owned, if you don't know this, because not everybody knows about the whole thing with Twitch, that they're owned by Amazon, which means they're owned by Jeff Bezos, a.k.a. one of the richest motherfuckers on the planet. Uh, he's one of the rare... A.k.a. Lex Luthor. <laughs> one of the rare 0.001% of the uh, the population on the planet that can just fire rockets into space for fun. Um, but he hates... <laughs> well, the... you're sitting at home trying to cobble money together to get bread and toilet paper. <laughs> that you'll buy from him that's the thing that pisses yeah. me off the most you'll buy most of it from fucking him and it's like yeah you'll order it from amazon and this motherfucker will send out an eco tax that he send it to you i think he hates the idea that you're making money that he could have and yes you'll give most of it to him to pay for his services through whatever thing he's doing now but i think he hates the fact that he can't just take the money out of your hand directly so, yeah, it's it's wild. I just, I just, I don't. I, I know exactly why Twitch are doing it as a business. It makes sense in a certain evil way where I, I want to just make all the money because these are the type of adverts that Twitch runs themselves. They run these uninterruptible adverts that distract from the viewing experience. The idea that the Twitch streamers themselves are getting a better cut of the money than Bezos is is what probably pisses Bezos off the most. So yeah. yeah. I, I, that's the only explanation I can think of is all the services they deny the average user to run on their stream is the exact same as what they do when they want to shove a product in your face. I think it's just, they just want their cut of the money, is my in, in, in classic Mafia Dawn style they just want their cut of the money flowing through the region. So. I think what it is, I think Bezos is genuinely sick of asking people or expecting people's money. I think you hit the nail on the head that he doesn't like the fact that you have money that could be in his pocket. And he's <laughs> sick of waiting for you to spend it. He just wants to cut in the middle man and say, I have all your money now. I need more money. AKA, he is a fucking supervillain waiting to happen. I suppose in the interest of fairness, I will, I will read Twitch's immediate follow-up policy because this was, let's just say, not well received by some of the biggest content creators online. And I'll just read from their uh, posted public statements on Twitter. 
Today's branded content policy was awfully broad. This created confusion and frustration, and we apologise for that. We do not intend to limit streamers' ability to enter into direct relations with sponsors. We understand that this is an important part of how streamers earn revenue. Fucking bullshit, but go on. Yeah. We wanted to clarify our existing ads policy that was intended to prohibit third-party ad networks from selling burned-in videos and display ads on Twitch, which is consistent with other services. We missed the mark with policy language and will rewrite the guidelines to be clearer. Thank you for sharing your concerns. We appreciate the feedback. We'll notify the community once we've updated the language. The policy itself is fundamentally flawed and borderline evil. Yeah. How about fix that, please? Yeah, it's basically they thought they could put this out and people would be fine with it. Because I know for a fact if they think if they thought at any point it was going to be hated, they would have reworded it from the jump. I, I think but this I, is it's not so much about the rewording, it's that they've been told no by the community that uses our platform. And obviously this is where we're coming in as people who enjoy Twitch streams, people who have friends in the community, like not just the parasocial friends that we have with everyone that we watch streaming, but actual friends who make a living off of this. We're pissed on their behalf, kind of, and we just want to make sure that, you know, the entire gaming community that uses Twitch, that made Twitch what it is today, is aware that, you know, Amazon is, as per usual, being fucking Amazon. Yeah. And I think it's just in the current climate of things, we're looking at the writer strike in America there. They're striking over the same thing. To see something like that from Twitch, given what is happening outside Warner Brothers Studios, Paramount Studios, all the big writer studios and all the other studios that employ writers in America, it's just it's odd at the very, very least to see Twitch going, Yeah, we want a bit of that. We want some of that controversy. I uh, I recently watched a podcast, Some Ordinary Podcast, which is run by uh, Some Ordinary Gamers and Nuxtaku, and th there was some guy on there before, but who knows if he's even there anymore. But those guys were interviewing a YouTuber called Quibblecop. Now, Quibblecop is an old-school Minecraft and uh, Grand Theft Auto YouTuber. He used to make videos where he'd employ mods and stuff to really fuck up gameplay, and he would just basically break games. Interesting guy, he had his time in YouTube, and he basically kind of retired to do his own thing. And mm -hmm. he's now working on the AI side of YouTube. He wants to try and figure out if you can run AI YouTube channels. I'd recommend people check it out. Uh, the podcast episode is called The 92% of Sunny V2, featuring Quibble Cop, Sunny Ordinary Podcast number 76. Interesting podcast because Quibble Cop knows his shit when it comes to the AI revolution. It's basically on the dawn. He, he's very optimistic about everything that's going to happen. AI is just going to nail it out the gate. They're going to make the best uh, products, the best YouTube channels. He's using YouTube uh, as a, a testing bed for AI-generated content. What he's telling us in there is fucking scary, what he's able to achieve with AI as it is now. And I quite like the fact that, uh, big fan of Philip DeFranco on this podcast, but his statement about AI is probably the smartest one that's out there. AI, right now, is as, is as bad as it's ever going to be. As in, AI right now is as bad as it could be possibly. It is only going to get better and more intelligent and less detectable from now on. And right now, according to Quibblecop, he has multiple YouTube channels running with good numbers, as in earning money, that are AI-generated. And from now on, AI-generated content could be almost as good or indistinguishable from current products that are made. So if you're a member of the Writers Guild, your job is now at threat from AI. And that's 
consumer-grade AI that's available now to everyone. Who knows what big companies, big tech companies, have at their disposal. AI there, I imagine, is like several iterations better than what's available to the public. So yeah, if you're in the writer's guild right now, hats off to you standing and fighting your fucking ground on this one because you do deserve a cut and you do deserve a bit of protection from AI that is going to immediately flood in and just destroy the marketplace for writing in yeah. Hollywood. Because it seems like based on the last couple of years, people are happy with just slop. And AI can generate slop at a terrifying degree. Yeah, and do you want to know what the most condescending part of it is? There are some, uh, I think it was, I was listening to the Fake Doctors Real Friends podcast, and uh, Zach Braff, who is himself a writer, was uh, out on the picket lines one day, and he said that he heard from one of the other people that he was striking with that uh, they're still going to have writers on staff, but they're going to basically clean up the AI written script, which I thought, go fuck yourself. You, you've, you're going to print out this shit these bollock scripts mm. at a fraction of the cost that you're going to pay a writer to do it. And, a, you know, writer's time includes first draft, second draft, final draft, and edits that need to be done on the fly. You're going to cut out all that income for the writer and said you're going to pay them a pittance to come in and sort out whatever crap AI farted out. That is condescending as fuck. And I, I know people are using AI to improve their quality of learning apparently uh talking to roscoe he's been trying to work on using ai to improve his learning of coding so he can get the, the perfect example out of the ai and deconstruct it himself but he's learning the mechanics of coding through using ai generated code so that I, I kind of like okay that's a good usage case of it he's learning how to code faster than he would do normally because textbooks for coding are never really great always out of date and obviously you're printing a textbook to keep up with software that's updated by itself there's a use for ai to enhance learning but the idea that we use ai to generate the content that you know should be generated by people to nourish the fucking soul as art is like so fucking stingy and what's interesting is that actually right now the writers guild is still on strike in hollywood the directors guild has just reached a compromise with the studios and they get all the benefits the writer strike wants. They're protected from AI. They're allowed to continue on as they were. But the writers somehow are still protesting this because the studios have an opportunity to make money. Because if you're a studio, that idea of using AI generating content to just fire out the initial scripts is like much cheaper than having people sit down and write them. And it is it is yeah. all a money saving exercise, as streaming seems to have like hamstrung the entire industry as far as film production is concerned but the idea yeah. that all of this needs to be just kind of like thrown under the bus because it can make the studio some money whatever happened to just making some money why do you have to make all the fucking money yeah and especially in a, an environment where you try to tell people that you know every aspect of you know the writing or every aspect of the media process is you know, a valid process, and then you say, oh no, directors, they need a bit, mean a bit more than the writers. But if you don't have the writers in there doing shit, what have the directors got to make? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. If you can do the same thing for directors, why not writers? They're essentially the same fucking thing. Yeah. One gets it down on paper, one captures it on camera. Yeah. It's a baffling process that I just, I'm like, yeah. really? <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna, like, skimp on like artists never get paid fairly because the artists never no, they never more do. until they're dead 
So artists never really paid fairly, but the idea that we're gonna just kind of throw more shit on them by AI generating all the content. Yeah. So. It's the fact that they're sampling. I don't, I don't know if this is true, so I apologize if it's absolute bullshit, but aren't the AI art generators, aren't they sampling? Just say, for example, if they're making a Daredevil comic, aren't they sampling Daredevil artists to try and make that Daredevil image? Well, my initial introduction to the AI arguments were all based on the fact that I was following a bunch of artists on Twitter and stuff like that. And it's people who were doing their own drawings. And their concern was that, yes, AI is being trained on the information that's given to them online web, through online web, uh, sites and online repositories for art, such as um, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you then have stuff like DeviantArt and other lesser, lesser known hosting sites that would then just offer up their library to AI. So if you wanted an anime-style version of, say, a Star Wars character, it would train itself on AI tags, or it would train itself on Star Wars tags and anime tags and try and combine the two styles together. And mm. even back as far as, like, three, four, even six months ago, it was yeah. very obvious what was an AI piece of generated art. If you look at certain things, uh, like hands are always hard to draw for people, so the AI yeah. being trained on the art made by humans generates shitty-looking hands. But again. AI is the worst it's ever been right now. So the hands have gotten better over time and now they're it's a lot harder to tell. It also struggled with hair and like objects in 3D. So if hair goes behind someone's shoulder, it struggles to track where the hair should be, whereas a human artist will actually take time to imagine where it goes and add it to the image. So it's yeah. that was that was a key argument was that it's being trained on someone's image that they've drawn. So it's being based on a human art piece. And that would be the problem is that a lot of people have accidentally signed away their rights to the the host sites to then feed that data into an AI machine. Unless you sat there and read the user license agreement, which admittedly no one does, you kind of signed away all your stuff. I mean, that's like the same as YouTube. YouTube could easily be feeding all their stuff into AI machines and as you dig through the 45-page document explaining what your rights are regarding the site, you would never know. So yeah, you do need to train AI on data that you already have. So I imagine someone at a Hollywood studio somewhere is just feeding scripts into AI machines one page at a time. Yeah. And the scary thing is it's probably not even good scripts. Like here's the script for Jack and Jill, here's the script for uh Hubie Halloween. No reason I'm picking on uh Adam Sandler because I rewatched the uh watched uh, Bad Movies with Great Comedians episode about Jack and Joe just because I couldn't believe that that film was actually made. <laughs> I, I'll be honest with you, they were light on that movie. Yeah. Um, I, I need to watch it myself, but every criticism I've seen of it is like, this is an abomination. This, If you told us this was AI generated by like generation 0.1 of AI, I'd believe you. Yeah. But anyway, um, speaking of other things we've watched, I sat down to watch an old anime, an older anime, which it turns out you've actually watched as well, so I get to talk a little bit about this. Yeah. It's called Witchblade, and it is basically a hentai, but at the same time censored enough to make it acceptable to broadcast on television. <laughs> yeah, and so it being a Japanese remake of a Western thing, because it arises out of Top Cow Comics Witchblade, which is a spin-off of their run of the darkness which is a horror comic book uh title 
Yeah, and it was a video game. Well, that's how most people, I would assume, know the Darkness franchise is that the yeah. Darkness was a video game that also has a comic book background, and then you have a spin off called Witchblade. And I was kind of into it because I'm a pervert and I like me some MILFs in anime. And they were like, hey, the main character is a MILF. Hooray. And she has a sexy demon form. Hooray. And there's going to be other sex demon ladies she fights. Fucking awesome. <laughs> this is the best show of all time, 11 out of 10. And then I realized it was 24 episodes and I was 10 episodes in and I didn't care anymore. <laughs> it it strikes me as um a show from the early, two, it's 2006 it was yet made. And I, I looked at what was around at 2006 and it actually it holds up as well as most anime from that time. There are some classics in that 2006 era. Um, Oran High School Host Club and Harumi, he's... Uh, I forget the fucking name of this. The, it's it's Harihi, her show, the, the fucking nonsense of Harihi, Suzumiya, or whatever the fuck oh, name the, is. Oh, the melancholy of Harihi Suzumiya. Yes, that one. That was yeah. out at the same time. It's actually in the same season, which is a fucking impressive amount of anime for that season alone, uh, especially back in the day. But this, it very much feels like you have to put on Linkin Park to meet your album and have that playing in the background yeah. as you watch this kind of edgy trash that I had a bit of fun with. Um, but by the end of it, I was skipping through episodes to just get to fight scenes. You just, I basically, I'd, I look at the preview window that you get when you scroll on the bottom of the video, and I'd find the fight scene. I'd go back a minute. They would explain why the fight's happening. They'd have the fight, and I'd skip to the next one. <laughs> by the way, do you want to know how? Do you want to know where else Witchblade pops up as a as a kind of media item? Where? The Witchblade or Witchblade also ran as a CW or back in I think it was the WB before it became the CW. It had a, a very short lived, funnily enough, twenty three episode run on the WB. Huh. So not only did it get us a, a fairly an okay anime, but it probably got a fairly, fairly below par uh, <laughs> CW series. Yeah, this um, it's interesting looking. I'm looking at some previews now. Um, it had a Witchblade film and a 2006 series as well as a 2001 series. Hmm. I don't want to get into the extended the the MCU Witchblade universe, but at the same time, this is a morbid. This is inspiring some morbid curiosity in me. It's, uh, it does not look great. I've seen a lot of no. people I kind of like, uh, I think I've heard them you know, being shit-talked in another video, on a YouTube video, but I'll, I'm going to tab that for later. <laughs> I'll go back and review Because <laughs> the series itself, when the action's going, and some scenes look fantastic, there's a scene where uh, the main character's trying to take this little embedded crystal off her arm, and she's using a hydraulic press, and we've all seen what those do to everything, because of yeah. those YouTube channels. But she's trying to use one to smash the crystal off of her arm, and it's the crystal is breaking the hydraulic press. But there's something about the way it's all lit, the the color composition of the shots as well. It looks fucking amazing, and I'm like, this is all in service of complete garbage. <laughs> this story is so stupid. But I, I I watched the end. I watched the whole last episode. Um, after like skipping through and just picking up a few key scenes, but. I think the, the description I gave to a friend that was also like aware I was watching the show was that it falls into this kind of broad category of things that shows that came up in the early 2000s where you have a, a suggestion that a private military corporation is running a supernatural arm that uses uh, demons and 
strange technology to make uh, a private military group that fights wars on shadow wars on the government's behalf. It's similar to a bunch of shows and anime you've seen over the course of the years, and it was all falls in the same plot hole of there's suddenly a group of people within the shadow organization that decide they're going to take over and they wage a private war within the company and within the shadow organization to overthrow the current establishment shadow organization because they understand the real truth. And I'm watching this Witchblade series and I'm like, this is exactly that same plotline that I've seen in a hundred different anime being broadcast, but this time there's a sexy milf. And I, I, I just don't have the time. I'm just going to keep skipping through these scenes. <laughs> And I'll give it like a, a 5 out of 10, because it's fine. <laughs> I, there no technical qualms about it, but I just don't want to sit through this boring fucking monologue again, because I've seen it in about yeah. 10 different shows, and it's been done better every single I think my, my view on anime has been spoiled by the current uh, slot of shows, where it's either a 24 season, or 24 episode isekai, which has its own tropes and its own things that are just as bad as that that type of stuff from the early 2000s or it's a 12 episode slice of life anime where i'm just it's the exact right amount of time where you realize that with there only being 12 episodes there's no space for any kind of junk in the middle whereas no no space for filler so much of um witchblade was people sitting in a boardroom going yes the project is moving along along at quite a good pace but we need to be concerned about the thing that's happening and then they would mention the thing that's happening but not show the thing they would just talk about it and I'm thinking to myself, this show could be so much more engaging if it would just actually show us what it means to talk about rather than having people in suits in a boardroom discussing our nefarious plans. You know, please just yeah. give me a little more action here. Because the action, when it happens, is cool. It's It goes a bit off model, and towards the end, you can see the budget kind of drop out of uh, the show. But it's still good. It's The last episode itself is fucking awesome. They're fighting on mm. top of Tokyo Tower. Um, doing basically kung fu moves as tanks blast them from the fucking ground. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> if the entire show was just this, I'd yeah. love it a lot more. But it would never be that. So, but it was it was interesting. I I do like going back to older older forms of anime, which I know someone just heard that and said it's not an old anime. It came out just a few years ago. It's 17 years old at this point. Yeah, it's showing its age. It doesn't really match up to current animation. So. And obviously, yeah. it's it's having to deal with stretching a budget over twenty four episodes. It cut down. I, I kind of wonder when Japan will maybe accept that in the streaming era right now. I mean, the UK is famous for this, where we only have six episodes for comedy shows because that's how many yeah. good jokes we've got. We're going to cut out all the crap. We have six <laughs> episodes worth of good jokes, and that will be a season of this comedy show that everyone loves. And then with the streaming era, even the Americans, even Netflix is catching on to having like episodes that are maybe longer to tell longer more dramatic stories but if you only have six or seven episodes you only put out six or seven episodes and i hope that jap if anime can pull off this move where it shifts away from the 24 or 12 episode like block formation you could get a lot better shows out of uh different studios in a year so i hope it's it's a long it's a pipe dream it takes like a massive cultural shift how they make television but you never know. Stranger things have happened. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very surprised when you came to me and said, oh yeah, I watched Witchblade. <laughs> I remember yeah, back in the day. I can't remember where I watched it, but uh, I know I have. I actually have the box set in no. this room somewhere. Oh, oh, oh. oh, you can't have that in public. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, like I said, I don't know where exactly in this room, but I know it's in this room. I hide it with the porno mags. <laughs> yeah, it'd be easier to explain the porno mags. <laughs> no, Mom, it's important to the story, I swear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it means something. The one thing that really threw me off, and I made the joke to you earlier, was they try and make a joke at the fact that the mum is kind of dumb, and that she doesn't really know how to take care of herself, and they have the child character that's there who's only treated as a daughter character. Don't worry, it's not one of those shows. But they have a daughter character that's just far much more mature and competent than the main woman character. And I was watching yeah. it going, it's supposed to be funny, but at the same time, this is probably somebody's real life. This is, it's kind of fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> that you'd have a, a little immature, uh, well, essentially a kid, looking after an adult. Somewhere out there is someone who's lived that experience. I kind of wish it wasn't publicly broadcast. Must be yeah. quite upsetting. So, yeah, I. Witchblade, I, I can't recommend it in your consciousness. I mean, just go look up the fan art online. It's much better than Yeah. The fan uh, art that you see will most likely be from the show. Actually, yeah, there's a lot of stills. <laughs> there's a lot of stills of the show in the fan art tags. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Are you ready for your elevator pitch? I am. I am ready for the elevator pitch. As you know, I've been playing Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. And the whole gimmick of that game is you can build shit. You can stick a wheel on a plank of wood and all of a sudden you have half a windmill. Dumb shit like that. Uh, I'll give you an example. Yesterday I attached a rocket. I attached the little seat control stick thing that you can get. So you can put it on things with wheels and you can use it as a kind of steering wheel. I attached that onto a rocket yesterday and managed to shoot myself across a map and guide myself to someplace. <laughs> you can kind of make most of the shit that you want. So. Uh, my uh, elevator pitch is to a, a YouTube channel called Top Gaming Plays, where you will find a compilation of just some dumb and genius shit that people have made in Tears of the Kingdom. And there's something like 20 different compilations, 20, 20 different episodes, and each episode's about 10, 15 minutes, maybe 10 or 12 minutes at the lower end. I watched the video that you've put in, and this is the, episode, this is the, the video we'll put in the, the link down below. That's the first one. I, the number one, and I was like, okay, kind of addressing people making cars, people are making rockets, people are making funny glider things. Okay, that's that's kind of cool. And all of a sudden, somebody makes a Gundam. I'm like, right, what the fuck is going on in this game? <laughs> Talked about gamer brain earlier on. This is peak gamer brain. Is how do I take the yeah. system and break it so completely that I get a Gundam out of a fantasy world? Fucking awesome. Genius. Genius. Right, so my elevator pitch is the return of one of the greats of podcasting to the public domain. Um, Daniele Bellelli is the host of History on Fire, which is a history podcast that I got into before I was obsessed with Dan Carlin and History on Fire and Mike Duncan and his series on Rome and Revolutions. And History on Fire is the kind of original podcast I got into when it came to history, and it is about storytelling more than anything else. It's to keep these narratives, these traditions alive in the public consciousness because there's so much of history we've forgotten that I've just actually because it was announced actually on Dan Carlin's Hardcore History Addendum feed which is like a sub little thing he has so that you don't mix in main episodes with little extra episodes that he wants to put out he interviewed or he had a chat with Daniele Bellelli about archaeology and just about the past of archaeology where it's just guys showing up and blowing fucking holes in mountains hoping to try and find the lost city of Troy and then the current state of archaeology and what we find in the current political issues we have with, I mean, 
just the idea that there's politically correct archaeology out there is interesting that the president discussing. And then what the future of it might be with current technology that you have, uh, for example, if you've never looked up LIDAR and the uh, South American forests, and we're actually finding entire cities because they were covered over the forest and we can actually see them using LIDAR technology. So we might actually have to reimagine the entire American continent as actually being dominated by people in the south rather than the north, which is mm. interesting. So all of history could change based on current discoveries in this field. But they discussed the fact that Daniele Bolelli is bringing back his history podcast called History on Fire. It's now going to be publicly available. Back in the day, it was all publicly available, and he put it behind a paywall, saying he wanted to continue to make the show, but making it was taking so much time and energy, he wanted to get paid for it, which is understandable. I understand that yep. entirely. Um, and he would basically put it up on a Patreon page, and you could download from there. And... That went on for a number of years, and now he's decided to return to the public domain and re-release all his old episodes as well, which is awesome. That is <laughs> Daniela Bellelli, thank you so much for bringing back your old content with this one. Uh, you've given us 90 podcast episodes, I think, roughly, and they're all multiple hours long discussing some of the weird, more niche um, history events that we, we don't really cover much here in you know, pop culture. But the fact that hmm. someone actually took the time to make it in a podcast, I, I can't wait to go and just delve more into history through his works because it's what got me interested in history in the first place, way before anything else. So it always holds a special place in my heart. And the fact that it comes out again in public domain is just, oh, it's just the best news I've had. So if you've had enough of our voices, it's been good to speak to you. I mean, this is, again, we're, we're, we, we talked about changing the format because our three-hour episodes were just kind of, it was harder for us to make those, so we're now at the point where we're doing these little hour and a half episodes. We hope you're enjoying more. Um, yeah. If you don't like them, they're easy for us to make because we don't have to, like, we don't have to write down enough notes for a three-hour behemoth anymore. We figure if we cut that shit in half, we can keep the energy up. We can keep the the yawns to a minimum. But if you're not liking it, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Jibberfish, or you can reach out to us via email at Jibberfishpodcast at gmail dot com to raise your complaints. And I'm sure somebody will read those and be like, oh. We fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the meantime, I've been Colin Graham. I've been Dom Anderson. And we've been talking jibber.